Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let's Hear Cast.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us. So let's get on to the show. And we're back. Welcome in again to Let's Hear It. You found us once again. Welcome to the couch. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to and the welcome. couch? What is this, therapy? Maybe it is. Okay. Maybe it is. It's, All right, it's, welcome it's, to the couch. There's a campfire. There's a couch. There's a warm light. There's, you know, Talk there's, about there's your drinks. Mother. There's, yeah, appetizers. How's it going, Mr. Brown? <laughs> it is going, sir. It's going, my, my boon companion. <laughs> my hail fellow well met. How are you, sir? So I'm good, and I'm I'm ready to do some cultural wing walking, if you will. Okay. I'm ready to just get out of the wing and see where it takes us. So tell us what's ahead, because once again, we've got much, much to talk about. I had a conversation with Jeff Chang, who is, we are on the board of the Narrative Initiative together, and Jeff's a senior advisor at Race Forward. He leads the Butterfly Lab for Immigrant Narrative Strategy. He is, as I said to him in our conversation, a cultural wing walker. He, <laughs> one of those people who walks out on the wings of planes while they're flying because he is an observer of culture and a, he just gets into it in ways that are exciting and interesting and from, and he's someone that we can learn, whom we can learn so much from. He's a, an amazing guy, really fun, and I think we had a, a pretty dynamic conversation. We had this conversation, and I should note this, right after the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So uh, for those of you who follow Let's Hear It, <laughs> there, there are occasional gaps between when we do the interview and when it ends up uh, <laughs> being posted. But So this conversation happened right after the Oscars, and for those of you who don't remember, things happened at the Oscars. Chris Rock had something happen and Will Smith was there and his wife Jada Pinkett Smith were there and engaged in it and it was a cultural sensation and it's interesting because I mentioned this to someone and they had forgotten and I'm thinking oh wow you got to be kidding me but still this may be a good time for us all to refresh our memories about what happened at the Oscars and its under and its relationship with race and narrative and culture and and engagement and all of these other things and and Jeff helps by just reading his books and speaking to him is helping me to make sense of where we are a little bit. And Jeff's many accomplishments are too numerous to even recite. So we will point you to jeffchang.net where you can see Jeff's work and read about his background, what he's been involved with. And to find Jeff on Twitter, it's at Zentronics, Z-E-N-T-R-O-N-I-X. Please find him. Please check him out. And as you're about to hear, this is quite a contributor to, wow, a lot. 
yes. so this <laughs> this is Jeff Chang on Let's Hear It. Welcome to Let's Hear It. My guest today is author, journalist, and I don't know, cultural wing walker, Jeff Chang. <laughs> What's a wing walker? You know, someone who gets on the side of a plane and walks oh along the gosh. wing as the plane okay. is flying. <laughs> <laughs> or, Got it. Know, okay. A cultural pulse taker. Are you the zeitgeist reader? Whoa. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. You are way more than all those things, Jeff. So thanks so much for coming on. Let's hear it, my friend. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. That was a crazy introduction. I don't know if I can live up to any of that. <laughs> Wing walking. If you don't walk wings in the next 30 minutes, you fail. <laughs> Whew, okay. Well, let's let's take off. Let's definitely take off. <laughs> there we go. Well, you um you also you've had you've had quite the journey. You've been in inside the I don't know what you would call it. Well, you were in the Academy. You were the executive director of the Institute for Diversity in the Arts at Stanford University, which sounds pretty fancy. You were vice president for narrative arts and culture at Race Forward, where you're still a senior advisor. And you've written a whole bunch of books. If you don't mind, I'm just going to list them or some of them for folks. Um, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of Hip Hop gener- of the Hip Hop Generation, We Gonna Be All Right, Notes on Race and Resegregation, and... Oh, there's one more that I wrote down and I can't find it, but <laughs> and there's a whole bunch. it's out there. Yeah, it's, it's called Who We Be. Thank you, yeah. Who We Be. Yeah. Let's so let's start with with the early days. Yeah. If if you don't mind, I want to see how you got from there to here because it's such an interesting bunch of things that you've done. So you grew up in you grew up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. In Honolulu, Hawaii. In Honolulu, yes. and you are part Native Hawaiian and part Chinese. Mm-hmm. That correct. That's, yep, that's me. Yeah. What, what was that experience? I've been to Hawaii as and as an outsider, uh, I know that I I understand almost exactly zero of the cultural experience of of people of Hawaii, and and so I'd be curious to know what your what your growing up there was like, and how that's informing your own sense of race and identity. Mm. Ah, such a good question. There's so much to talk about, and. Actually, there's probably a book in this somewhere, <laughs> but I, you know, I, on my Chinese side, I'm seventh generation on the islands and on my Hawaiian side, obviously, you know, been there thousands of years. So the, you know, the family that I come from is huge. It's a big family. Um, we've intermarried in, you know, all the ways that are possible, like all the combinations you can imagine are, are within the family. So when we take a picture, we kind of look like the United Nations. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> and, you know, for for that reason, that's obviously shaped my understanding of what can be possible, I guess, you know, in community. It's not like you don't have tensions in family that just like you don't have, you know, like you have tensions in community, you have tensions in family. But at the same time, the idea that everybody can belong each belong to each other, right, is is something that probably I'd learned at a really young age and Certainly, it's definitely at the core of my of my being and what I'm what I'm about. So, you know, when I when I look at questions these days, like you know, of of segregation or of questions of equity or or justice, um, racial equity or racial justice, it, it comes literally. It's informed by by the way I grew up and by my family histories. 
we we could talk we could go back generations if you want to eric i probably don't have the time to do that but um (laughs) just suffice it to say i think that uh in that regard there's there's a sort of you know I'm, i'm very aware that even this notion of america right uh is is it's in some ways an, an ideal and it's been a weapon as well right it's been wielded to take away you know the rights and you know and and the culture of my families the language right uh, americanization is taken away language and it's only now that me later in life that i can come back to it and and try to find some sort of reconciliation but those are the kinds of things that that motivate me is is kind of thinking about what the previous seven generations of my family um have been you know able to do and thinking forward to like the next seven generations so uh and what we need to leave for them then you came to the to California. I did, yeah. The, the mainland. I don't know what the, do we call it the mainland? Yeah, we used to call it the mainland, but then then folks were starting to say in the 90s, Hawaii is the mainland. So right. we call it the continent, which is another way of describing it that's a little bit less uh, fraught with connotations of, you know, Maine or not so right. Maine or periphery or whatever. Yeah. I had a feeling as the word came yeah. out of my mouth that there no, was something. No, it's, it's, it's really funny. There's a great poem by this guy named Joseph Balaz who's like, Hawaii is the mainland. So Right. Yeah. So And that, and then we were all like, ooh, you know, that was one of those moments where we're all like, wow, that really reframes things for us. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So yeah, so you came to California and, and you went to Cal Go Bears. Yes. Uh, and, and then you started hip hop. You were DJ. Were, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You hip hop DJ and you started a hip hop uh record label. Yep. So I don't know was are there a lot of Chinese Hawaiian hip hop labels or you know <laughs> speaking it, of cultural kind of I don't know experiences how how came you Jeff to start a hip hop label? How do you tell me about hip hop? Tell me about your your relationship to hip hop. Oh, well, you know, I, I came to Cal and it was actually this is going to date me, but what the heck, you know, I'm, I it was my birthday yesterday, so I have to own my middle age now. Um, <laughs> the the period that I came to Berkeley was during the anti-apartheid movement. So I found myself drawn into to that backwards, actually. I, I'd always been a huge fan of music. I grew up on, you know, um, Hawaiian folk music, you know, sort of back to the land type stuff that my cousins, my, old, my older generation of cousins were into, you know, sort of folk rock, jazz rock type of stuff that was coming from the islands. And then really started figuring out where I was going when I started hearing reggae, you know, started hearing like Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and Bunny Whaler and, you know, the folks who are coming out with the roots music during the the seventies. And, you know, we really didn't have anything to claim until hip hop came out, you know, something that was our own generation that other generations didn't understand that Got my parents angry when I played loud. You know what I mean? All the great things, right? So, and hip hop was interesting because it was, it kind of spoke to this like intensification of the urbanization of the islands. I grew up in Honolulu in in the Eastern suburbs and uh, of Honolulu and spent a lot of time on the countryside too as well because my grandparents are on that side of the island. But uh, during the eighties, during the seventies and the eighties, there's a lot of development a lot of urbanization very quickly and hip hop kind of gave us a voice, you know, so it was almost a pre-political voice 
you know, for, to be able to say, Hey, what's all this stuff going up? What's all this concrete going up? You know, I'm going to spray paint my name on it. And, you know, when I play this stuff loud, it echoes right through, you know, through all the streets and stuff. And, and it was just amazing for us to have that sound coming from New York city uh, and Los Angeles down to us. Um, so hip hop became the thing that, that I think our generation grew up on. And when I moved to the continent, I moved right into the middle of a huge, amazing scene in the Bay area, you know, so jump right into it. I was literally uh, becoming a DJ, learning how to become a DJ uh, that was happening during the nighttime. And then I, you know, wake up in the afternoon, skip math class and, you know, <laughs> end up like on the, on Sprawl Plaza where all these protests were taking place. So that was kind of how it all came together for me and and ultimately the two kind of came together in hip-hop you know the the sort of thing of finding our our not just our, our sort of um aesthetic voice but our political voice um through groups like public enemy and boogie down productions krs1 you know queen latifah mc light you know all these folks sister soldier articulated kind of the, the the feelings that we were feeling and that's how i came to to become a DJ uh, and to help start up a label that was called Soul Sides with folks like DJ Shadow and Black Alicious, Rest in Peace, Get the Gab, and um, Latirix, uh, my friend Lyrics Born from Berkeley, and um, Latif, the true speaker from Oakland. And I'm happy to say that another person in our crew, Joseph Patel, just won the Oscar for Summer of Soul. So, like, we had a pretty amazing crew. And those guys, you know, taught me so much. Uh, and and I still rely on, on those days a lot, you know, in terms of thinking about what I need to be as an artist and how to be able to carry uh, the narrative forward of, you know, the America that we can have if we if we choose to move in that direction. Well, you as you talk about this political voice, I'm sensing the 90s. Mm-hmm. Is that what is that? I was yeah. there in the 90s, too, except I was. It took me a long time to go to college, so I'm a little older than you okay. are. I was I wandered into the in the wilderness for quite some time. But that's not. It's you were just you were learning, man. You were it was part of your journey. You weren't wandering. You you were finding. You were finding. I was learning. That's what it was. Uh, what was that political voice, and what was what was it that you felt you that this cultural opportunity gave you the chance to say mm. what, what were you tr- what were you trying to communicate you know it was a it was the 80s were were a really intense period and this is sort of the period where you begin to see the cultures that we're living in today you know um where you have this far right um and even actually democratic party folks pushing back against you know the racial justice work that really came up out of the post-war period in the U.S. and, of course, peaks with the civil rights movement and, you know, the flowering of the Black Power movement, which in turn kind of, you know, inspires the Asian American movement, the Chicano movement, the American Indian movement, uh, the LGBTQ movement, right, the women's movement. So, you know, there's a massive kind of backlash against that during the 1980s and that's i think what a lot of folks were reacting to you know you hear it in the music of public enemy certainly and the this idea of bringing back the image and the words 
and the teaching of somebody like Malcolm X, you know, sampling him so that it's, he's saying too black, too strong, you know, and that giving us sort of a sense of, of agency at that moment. And I think coming out of the anti-apartheid movement, moving into confronting racism at that particular moment, underrepresentation of, you know, people of color, as well as the lack of, of ethnic studies, the lack of, of knowledge about the communities that we come from, the rise uh, in anti-Asian violence that was happening during the 80s, all of those different types of things, you know, were shaping who we are. And so hip hop actually gave us a way to be able to speak to all of those kinds of things, to be able to assert a different kind of of, of way of, of being against all of these different types of forces that were coming down on us. Well, it clearly had a lot of power. You, you were talking about how the left was challenged by it and didn't know what to make of it. Remember, you know, who can forget in the 90s, Bill Clinton and Sister Soldier. Mm-hmm. It, it almost seems like the perfect example of uh, the baby boomer culture not having any idea what to make of, of a, a burgeoning sense of expression. That must have been bomb that went off in the, either the hip-hop community, but in just general progressive race politics, Sister Soldier must have been a head smacker. Yeah, yeah that, that moment I think was um, pretty profound because then it was like, oh, we thought that this is the guy that was supposed to be cool. Like he's on Arsenio playing the saxophone and stuff, right? Like they're saying that he's about to be the first black president and whatnot. And, and then he turns around and uses Sister Soldier uh, as a way to be able to, to draw this line. And, and it's, it's clearly a racial line. I mean, when, when he was saying this, Jesse Jackson was on the DS with, alongside him, and you could just see Jesse Jackson's face drop and him turn sour because it was clear that he was trying to race bait at that particular moment. You know, Sister Soldier's words were, I think, misconstrued, you know, and she was talking in that particular moment in this interview that she had given in the Washington Times about um, the mentality of a gangbanger, right, at that at that moment. And they were flipped around to make it seem as if she was uh, advocating killing whites, you know. And, and so that was such a clear... For so many of us, that was such a clear uh, statement that this was, in fact, it wasn't a Democrat versus Republican type of thing. It was like a generation versus a generation type of thing. And to be completely honest, like, and James Foreman has done great work uh, around this, right? It's it, it's this flowering of all of these um, tough on crime laws in which Black communities are held up as the folks who want these laws the most. And, and so you're, you're dealing with this generational friction that's happening. Um, and that comes out, I think, in the hip hop politics of, of the entire decade, really rolling up into the new millennium. Uh, and I think that that actually forms the shift around which we, we uh, get to Black Lives Matter, but I might be getting ahead of myself. A little yeah. bit, but not too much, because okay. after the break, we're going to come. We're going to kind of jump forward. We're going to do the time shift and and get get into the current conversation. And there are a few of them that I'd love to have. And uh, we'll be right back with Jeff Chang. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications, hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is sponsored by the Communications Network which connects, gathers, and informs the field of leaders working in communications for good. 
because foundations and nonprofits that communicate well are stronger, smarter, and vastly more effective. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. And we are back with cultural wing walker and reader of the zeitgeist. <laughs> I'm going to get a t-shirt made Jeff, that for both Jeff, of us. Jeff. That'll just say wing walkers, <laughs> wing walkers anonymous. <laughs> so, so Jeff, I, I can't decide where to start the second part of the show. Cause I have two really big questions that I want to ask. I guess I'm going to start with the What well, I guess we can call it the elephant in the room, but it's not, I want to talk about the other Chris rock Oscars event, Ooh. which I think it comes out of, you what out of your book, We Gonna Be All Right, which you talk about when the the Oscar So White mm. gave way to Not Your Mule. Mm. And th- this is like so we're not gonna talk about Chris Rock right now because there was other Chris Rock stuff to talk about <laughs> that I think is so it's such an interesting way of looking at how race and conversation and culture they grind together in certain ways. Can you just tell the story about Oscar's so white and not your mule. And I think that'll help us. It may help us even understand what happened two weeks ago. I could be wrong, but still. Wow, Eric, this has been so long since I've actually thought about this. And I'd be really interested to actually to kind of hear what you, how you connect the, the dots to, to the event a couple of weeks ago, for sure. I mean, that particular event, what happened was Chris was hosting. Uh, the Oscars again, and he made a joke about the accounting firm that the Oscars uses to tally their, um, you know, the votes and and that kind of thing, and then brought up three young Asian kids on the stage. And so the joke was kind of at the expense of these unassuming, like, poor little, like, cute, Asian kids who, (laughs) you know, the joke was obviously the laugh depended upon the stereotype of, you know, Asian Americans being all about math and being all about, you know, the, the little doing the little things being the sort of folks who uh, are pushing their pencils around, um, but can never necessarily be leaders. Right. So uh, a good friend, Jose Antonio Vargas actually calls folks out and on Twitter that night, he's like, what was that about? What's, what's going on here? And actually begins to create this conversation about race and Asian Americans. Uh, the thing about Asian Americans is that throughout our history, we've always been placed between black and white. And so there's an essay in the book called The In-Betweens, in, in which I kind of get a little bit more into into all of this but it's a it's a very difficult type of uh, position to, to to be in for asian americans to try to figure out what position they're going to take you know we can we can sit on the fence and kind of watch all of this stuff happen and that's really just the essence and the the, the definition of privilege right that we can see all of these different types of racial equity battles, racial justice battles going on. And we can just sort of like quietly opt out of that. That's really, again, the definition of privilege, you know, or we can throw down and say, you know, this is what we're, we're trying to be about. We're trying to be as white as we can be, or we're trying to be as 
you know, down for racial justice and supporting um, the struggle, the freedom struggle that's been most, you know, deeply articulated by the Black freedom movements going all the way back, you know, hundreds of years, uh, we can choose to take that side. And so this, this quality of being in between is literally about having the option to opt out, um, but the necessity to be able to make a choice in order to figure out like where we're going to situate ourselves. And and so anyway, in this particular debate, Mickey Candle, who's another uh, Twitter, you know, sort of avatar black woman calls out Jose uh, around uh, what he's raising. Right. And is like, well, you know, you are criticizing black folks who are over here, you know, are making a joke, say, um, that might be uh, at your expense, but black people are not going to be your mule. Uh, they're not using a Zora Neale Hurston um, reference, right? It's not about um, Asian Americans climbing up over blackness to get to whiteness. And, you know, Eric, this is like something that comes up over and over again. Uh, it came up in the school board, the San Francisco school board uh, debates and um, it was an undercurrent. It's an undercurrent now that that is actually happening um, even around the stop API hate, you know, kind of uh, of movement. Right. It's it's the question of like, are you in solidarity with the struggle or is are you invoking, you know, grievance in order to get over on other folks of color, particularly black folks who paved the way for you? And so. Uh, that's what I think I was trying to write about in the book. I'm curious what, what, how you think it relates to like what happened between Chris Rock and, and Will Smith. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, boy, I'm not qualified to answer your question, but I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally qualified, man. You're behind the microphone. Go for it. I'm here. I'm listening. Well, uh, not, not withstanding the fact that Chris Rock seemed to have been in the middle of the, the eye of the thir- hurricane and these two large cultural conversations that happened on Twitter during the Oscars. Mm. So there's just that elegance. Uh, but you're, I, it, what seemed to me that happened at, at the Oscars this time was a collision of gender, toxic maleness, mm-hmm. race for sure, two black men engaging in a conflict on the stage in front of everybody, and disability, mm-hmm. Uh, because Chris Rock was making fun of Jada Pinkett's, Pinkett's uh, disability, that, that she has a, a medical condition, and all of these things crushing together. Mm-hmm. And there you saw people taking sides. You know, uh, Tiffany Haddish was, was taking Jada's side saying, and, and Will's side saying, like, that's okay, you stand up for your woman, uh, and so on and so forth. So you ended up with this almost a triangulation of, of cultural conflict that, is going to be very hard to untangle and for which there feels to me to be no elegant solution. You know, any people say, well, it's complicated. It is. And again, this is why I feel like I have very little authority to speak, but these, these are, it feels to me like folks are being asked to take a side in the sense that it feels like they were being asked to take a side back then as well, which is which side are you on? Am I your mule? Am I not? Mm. Where where do you fit in the 
in the racial pecking order or in the social pecking order or in the gender pecking order or in the ability, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's, I, as you can tell, I have I do not have an elegant uh, answer to your question, but it feels like a lot of these themes are, are colliding and coming together in a way that feels reminiscent of the callback to that. Yeah. And, All right, you're the cultural zeitgeist man. <laughs> well, I mean, you tell me I'm wrong. No, I think you're right about all of those things and about like the explosion of that particular moment, you know, has to do with all of these different types of issues that, that need to be unraveled. And, you know, the problem I think in the way that we think about things is everything is so binary. Everything's so on off one, two, you know, zero one, I guess you should say. And when we get to the intersectionalities of these different kinds of issues, I mean, you know, the other thing that Mickey was kind of referring to here is, you know, there's there's the erasure of black women here that's that's happening um, in all of this. And that's like, how, how do we bring in, you know, gender to, to actually be able to talk about this? You know, in this particular instance, like Jada, right? What is, what is J- like Jada's either the object of protection or the object of ridicule? Right. Like we could talk about that. It's there's so many different types of things that are that are kind of going on. And, you know, what's clear, I think, is that the moment that we're in right now is about the critique of of all of that and about, you know, this masculinity, this toxic masculinity that's been in place that we have to we have to take down. We have to unravel um, and we have to sort of put aside. But having said that. Right. Like what are the proper ways for for us to be able to move forward? You know, that that Chris Rock chose not to do the thing that everybody said that he should have done, which was to, you know, bring the police into the situation. Right. That that feels um, significant in a lot of ways. You know, what is what's the proper way that that we move towards closure on this kind of thing? And I think that that the the difficulty of it all is is that in this social media type of environment, there's a rush to judgment and there's a rush to sort of create a scapegoat, you know, and to sort of put all of that stuff away. So, you know, Will Smith is now canceled or whatever, right? Chris Rock is selling out all of his shows on his tour, right? And that's another part of this binary that that is, it's vexing. It doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't, it's, it's, we need to, we just need a lot more nuance and and the way that we kind of come uh, to these different types of situations. Any of these types of moments is going to be explosive and contained in all of it, like mm, the seeds of of further, you know, types of moments of this or the seeds to be able to move forward. And I think that if we could probably take the wrong lessons from this, that's the danger of of, of what's happened. I think I'll, I'll, let me just say this in the in the last instance for um, you know for for the the Nacho Mule example, what it led to was like I know Jose he's one of my dearest friends I, I love him so much um, it led to a really I could say this it led to it led to a really deep soul searching and in turn is is has led him into this this sort of powerful kind of way of thinking about how we change the narrative for Asian American Pacific Islanders and uh, how we change it in particular in, re- in relationship to, uh, to black folks, the black freedom struggle to black women and uh, what this requires of us in this moment where black lives matter is still 
on the on and should always be on on the forefront of 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 our minds like this is really the key to moving towards racial justice for all is recognizing um that black lives matter and to recognize the contributions and the the directions that the black freedom struggle is leading us towards uh, so for, for for in that it was Jose like brought us into and Nikki brought us into a teaching moment for our like all of us and 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 that's the upside I think of of these different types of explosive situations that might occur in the culture. Well, when you were writing about that moment back then, you, you wrote. Uh, it is the continuing strangeness and difficulty of race that all of these conversations have to happen at the same time. Mm. And that that was one of the other things that kind of triggered in my mind, this connection point between then and now, because, again, we we don't have the luxury of setting aside certain topics so that we can just deal with one of them at a time. And as a result, it gets it gets quite messy or I, I don't know if you, if you want to call it that. If it's fair to say that it's messy, it is just the, the, the nature of. Uh, our experience that feels complicated and it just in the in the few moments uh left you i mean you you write your your book is called we gonna be all right uh (laughs) which which seems uh optimistic and uh and almost like an aside that you would have to a to a good friend how can you just explain that can are, are you an optimist are we going to be all right? <laughs> what, why'd you do that? Yeah, it, no, you know, I did it out of, I did it as a tribute to the, to the black freedom culture that, you know, gave me a voice, you know, and a, a tribute, of course, to one of the greatest artists of all time, Kendrick Lamar, um, and a tribute and a nod and sort of a, a note of gratitude to the Black Lives Matter movement who made it an anthem. All right, who made it all right? Kendrick Lamar's song "All Right" into an into an anthem, you know, because it's it's this sort of leap of of imagination. It's this sort of like grasping of faith, right? That if we get it together, if we get ourselves together with each other, that we'll find a way. That will 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 really you know move towards being all right. We're gonna be all right, and. So yeah, I you know I I'm it's hard to it's hard to say that that I'm a, a, a full blown optimist or a full blown pe- pessimist, um, but you got to have hope, you know. There's 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 a there's a way in which well I'll put it this way I I can't imagine what my ancestors were thinking seven generations ago about what the future would look like and what you know, the fruits of their work would become, you know, but I'm glad that I'm glad that they did. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I want to be able to leave that to my kids and to my loved ones, you know, which don't, don't only include the people who are blood family to me, right? Folks in my community, you like people who I, I love and trust and who I want to be able, who I grow from, who I learn from, and who I want to help to grow and help to to learn. So you know that's the thing. That's the sort of germ of the thing that the the seed of the thing that we plant for the future generations. And the my job is 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 just to be able to do a little bit of watering while I'm here. Well, in wisdom terms, I think you are fast becoming an elder. 
Not in age. <laughs> not, in, not in rings on the tree. Can but I say something? Can I say something about that though? Yeah. You know, like in 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 the cultures that I come from, like you're really not allowed to say anything to your seventy. <laughs> and I think that there's like oh, there's like wisdom in that, right? There's like beauty in that. So I'm like, I don't think I'm an elder yet. I'm certainly an elder in training. I think we all are, hopefully. But yeah, it's I I don't have, I don't I don't have what I need to be able to to be that person. But I'm trying. I have to I have to strive for something. So yeah. <laughs> well, if you couldn't say anything till you were seventy. There sure as hell would be a lot less podcasts. <laughs> yeah, like you no, know, just shut up until you're seventy. You know what I mean? That's sort of like that's like the culture that I, those these are the cultures that I come from. Like, <laughs> what do you know? You're not seventy yet. Well, I'm going to get there before you do, and then I'll do all sorts of talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be listening to you for, for like a, a year or two or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Jeff Chang, what a pleasure. Oh, yeah. uh, we could have gone on for days, and we'll have to come back and do some more because uh, I have a lot more to learn from you. So appreciate you, Eric. Thank you for having me. You too. That was so much fun. And we're back. So, Mr. Brown, tell me, tell me about the travels, the journeys. How do your paths cross with Jeff, and um, and how have you ever allowed him to get out of your sight ever? Because I can imagine just wanting to follow him around and just keep talking all the time. So, so tell us about your background with Jeff. We serve on the board of the Narrative Initiative, which is a, an organization that was started by the Ford Foundation and Atlantic Philanthropies to help develop the use of narrative in nonprofit social change, and. Because Jeff is who he is. He was a natural person to be on this board. He's, he's just, as you can hear in this conversation, an amazing guy, incredibly thoughtful. But for someone with that much insight, he's, he's, awfully, he's awfully polite about it. Mm. He's incredibly mm. nice and gracious. Man. But what a cool guy and what an amazing perspective he has on what's going on out there. Well, and one of my favorite things about all these many people that have been on the podcast at this point, this piece that actually feels really consistent across all of them is how different their journeys have been to get here. And the here I'm going to talk about is communication, system thinking, you know, narrative, how we pull these pieces together to support change. And I feel like Jeff has given us like one of the most interesting journeys. You know, Jeff brings this perspective and then he's pulled together all these different experiences and hip-hop becomes the starting point i just want to hear every single thing you have to say and then i want to follow everything every single thing you've done but tell me about that part because i feel like for jeff this idea that it's like it's almost like this series of um creative expressions and creative exercises one after the other that run the gamut of all of the work he's done it's such a cool path to forge in this field don't you think or what do you think about that well, I do. And his his interest in hip hop and his journey as a hip as a Chinese Hawaiian hip hop DJ, I think says a lot. Yeah, it's so great. Because that was that was an expression and a music and a and a, and a politics that spoke to him at, at a moment when in the, in the 90s when many of these cultural questions were being called and and there was a a real generational shift in the politics and i think that his his ability to synthesize that to learn from it and to interpret it is 
it is something that we need more of. Mm -hmm. Pick up his books because they're really, Ugh. really interesting. Yeah. When he told the story about Chris Rock's kind of previous foray into cultural excitement at the Oscars, mm -hmm. for me anyway, I saw, wait a minute, well, I just, <laughs> it, was, it was just a couple of weeks ago that Chris Rock was back in it. Yeah. But these two episodes are an expression of how how our culture i don't know how it looks at race and now of course gender and ability in ways that we i think we all need to find meaning out of it mm -hmm. and the fact that he's willing to wade into these conversations and to try to to better help us better understand them is just another, another reason why we need more Jeff Changs in the world, but it's also a, a way to help us process all of this stuff that's coming at us. The other thing, of course, is that I, I can learn from a culture and a community that I'm not in, but I, I want to know more and I want to I be able to process that information from my perspective so that I can, that I can participate in one way in whatever way seems seems appropriate. And, you know, the nuance that he's bringing to this, I love that conversation that you had where he talks about this in-betweenness concept, you know, that Asian Americans can confront. Where, where do I place myself on this conversation around race and narrative? And so as the narrative initiative, how much was the rate, how much was a conversation around race and, and racial identity and how do you see this all fitting together? And I have to say, like that conversation you guys had about Chris Rock and Will Smith, this year's version of the, of the Chris Rock moment. Yeah, you know, Jeff is coming to this notion: it's not binary; it can't just be on, off, yes, no, right, wrong. You know, there's this, there's much more nuance in what's going on here. And then, and then again, thinking about that conversation you guys had about what it means to be in between, I'm just thinking to myself: this is the kind of nuance. This is the kind of thoughtful leadership, bring people into this conversation. These are the voices that I wish were dominating our cultural conversation today. And unfortunately, you know, they're out there, but are they, but are they in the mainstream of it? I don't know. You know what I mean? But, but what do you think about that? That nuance he's bringing to that notion of what's in between and how, you know, how, how this conversation about race moves between all of us. Well, as you, as you very well know, nuance is hard yeah. and not nuance is easy. You can say like bad, wrong, yeah. call people names and try and it's so much easier to divide than it is to unite. That's why building a narrative around how complex our relationships are between gender, race, ability, you name it, is, is way harder than folks who are saying, oh, let's just demonize folks who don't look like us or act like us or we don't understand. And when you drive those wedges through, then it makes it easy to by disrupting to screw everything up. So building is harder than destroying. You know, if you think about your like a renovation, it's you could take that you could take the room down to the studs in a day. And then it takes you a year to, to put it back together again. And I think that's what we're seeing in our politics. And unless you have people who are really firmly committed to coming together to build that room, it's it's very easy to divide. And what I think that Jeff does is help us make sense of what some of those differences are and what those nuances are. That doesn't make it easy to turn that into political movements per se, but it makes it easy for us to, I think it makes it possible for us to chart a path. 
So tell me about Race Ford because this is where Jeff, um, one of Jeff's professional homes is at Race Ford. And, um, you know, tell me about your experiences with Race Ford and, and how that contributes to all this because, it, you know, that definitely seems like an initiative and an organization that's well worth supporting. Well, again, this is an organization that's helping us understand the the discussions around race that are are advancing understanding of a variety of issues that matter to to people. And and Jeff again is such a perfect person to participate in that. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, Rinku Sen, who we interviewed, who I interviewed earlier in the season, yeah, who is the executive director of the narrative initiative was one of the leaders at at race forward so if you see this thread working its way through it's it's obviously it's it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. these organizations are trying to create narratives that help us build a broad base of power to advance social justice mm-hmm. and to create a vocabulary behind that so race forward does it jeff has done it in a variety of areas in his life through his journalism through his books through his cultural commentary. And then Rinku has done it across these places. And now she's helping to lead narrative initiative in advancing that work too. And that also includes helping other people understand how to use narrative uh, and and helping to identify narratives that are particularly powerful or which op, uh, offer opportunities. Well, and Jeff, you know, in that work, um, this the work of the Butterfly Lab at Race Forward is such a cool approach, right? This idea of building narrative that supports humanity for migrants, refugees, immigrants, and advancing freedom and justice for all. And if folks want to check out some of the work that's come from that, the Butterfly Project has actually created a narrative toolkit, um, a narrative design toolkit that folks can get their hands on. And, and, And I would be curious, Eric, I mean, Give me your take on narrative design, and 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 is 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 narrative design almost a, an upscaled version of communications planning? You know what I mean? Like like is it is it, how would you care? How would you place narrative in the continuum of this entire set of things that we're talking about? You know, does narrative pull the lens back even further and think about how all the actors get a get arrayed and 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 just yeah? Tell me about that. I don't know. This is a hard one, Kirk, because yeah. I think narrative is one of those things that's almost impossible to define. Mm. And so therefore, like uh, at the very least, I won't be wrong because there's no <laughs> defi- definition. I, I, you know, I'll take a stab at it, which is it is the ability to connect based on shared experience or shared stories mm-hmm. or stories with with which we can connect. I'm not a person who lived through the uh, the freedom struggle of the 60s, but that the story that that created is something that I now can internalize and understand how change occurred through that set of activities and that set of belief structures and and the stories that emanated from that moment. In in a sense it's creating a shorthand between you and your audience and that I'm telling a story that you're familiar with or that you can connect with on an emotional level that has a, a deeper meaning that goes to it. Our old narratives in our history, the, you know, the Horatio Alger narrative of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and that anybody can make it as long as they work hard and play the, by the rules. That is, a, that is a long time narrative that has managed to persist to this day, even though it is not true. 
And now I'm not saying that you should create narratives that are not true. You, I, I think that's the, the real challenging part of narrative is that someone can come up with an alternative narrative that becomes um, incorporated into our belief structure, into our systems, into our politics, into our laws. And counteracting those things are really challenging. They're really difficult. But I think that that's the point of what we're trying to do now is to help people better understand. So there is a counter narrative now. Let's just say the 1619, uh, 1619 Project is a, a really good example, helping people understand how the institution of slavery has shaped every decision that has been made for the last 400 years. Yeah. That, that is, they are helping us to understand how things happened. So that's that's an example of I don't know if you want to call it a counter narrative, but a <laughs> maybe it's just a truer narrative. Mm -hmm. Now that's a fairly long winded answer to something that can't be explained in a sense. But I think we are all in our work trying to come up with new ways to communicate that connect on important levels that will lead us to an important set of changes. Well, and I feel like in your conversation with Jeff, he actually started with you know that notion of America. Idea and it's like you know this notion of America has been an ideal and a weapon right. all this time, and I think that's another really powerful expression of this notion of narrative and how it becomes woven into our cultural fabric. So I want to, uh, I want to. But thanks for asking me what is narrative. <laughs> well, we're gonna keep coming back to it, right? We have to keep coming back to it. So, so, so here I want to make a proposal. I want to make a proposal because I have the benefit. Having, I have the benefit of having been part gonna of. Me, I'm going to have to do work, right? Things that have not, yes, because okay. I've been, I've been part of things that have not been published yet. But All I right. feel like the conversation around relationships, in race, in communications, and narrative, it's woven through so many of these episodes, both that we've heard and then some that are coming. And I know we don't do panels at Let's Hear It because it's really hard to have multiple voices at yes, once. It is. But man, I want, I want to do a series of panel episodes where oh, some of God. these folks we've talked to get a chance to talk to each other because okay. the themes are so powerful, right? And, and, and you know what I'm alluding to because there's some stuff that hasn't been published yet that is coming. But like some of these, and by the way, these people are so smart, they right? Smart. Come on, There's let's put them on air. By the way, they're smarter than we are, Kirk. So well. there's that, which is nice. <laughs> uh, yes, you're right. It, it, you've often said that our, our guests speak to each other through mm. the show. And sometimes yeah. maybe we'll even get them to speak to each other. Yeah. Uh, to each other. Well, okay. We'll see, Kirk. You're excellent. It's a fabulous idea. We'll see. It's a fabulous idea, Simi. You'll take the time <laughs> and put the work in to make it happen. So the person we know who's doing the real work is Jeff Chang. Jeff, what is. a contributor. And man, Jeff, thank you for coming to Let's Hear It. Thank you for talking to us. And Eric, thank you for for reaching out to Jeff and bringing him on because that was a conversation for the ages and will continue to be. Yes? Yes, that was great. And Jeff, thank you so much. And let's go to an A's game. Okay, everybody, that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on this show, and that definitely includes yourself. And we'd like to thank... John Beltrano, our enthusiastic production assistant. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. Our sponsors, the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. And please check out Lumina's terrific podcast, 
today's students, tomorrow's talent, and you can find that at luminafoundation.org. We certainly thank today's guest, and of course, all of you. And most importantly, thank you, Mr. Brown. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Brown. Okay, everybody. Until next time. Let's hear it.